0: Well, let's, let's turn then to our passage this morning. If you have your, your bulletin, you'll find our text over on page 3. We're going to read together from 1 Peter 2. So let's, let's give attention. This is God speaking to his people, even us. when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray for God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you are the God who speaks. And we pray that you would use this portion of your word to, uh, to speak truth and life and strength to our hearts, that we might know you and your kingdom better. Lord, by being here and and Your Spirit being at work among us, so we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this fall we're having a brand new sermon series. We're calling it "The Church and All Her Servants." The Church and All Her Servants. It's it's uh, pretty specifically coordinated to go with something else that's happening this fall in the in the life of our church, and that. Uh, Lord willing, in November, we're going to hold a congregational meeting to decide together whether or not to add an additional elder and an additional deacon uh, as servants of, of Emmanuel. We've, we've discussed that and asked for prayer previously uh, for, for Rob and John as they've been training in those offices. And we're going to get to uh, discuss and vote whether we feel like God is calling them to serve uh, the church here in those particular ways. But that raises some really important questions. What exactly is an elder? What exactly is a deacon? Uh, In what ways do they serve? Are are they the only servants in the church? Uh, For that matter, what exactly is the church? And what's the church called to be doing uh, and aiming for? These are leaders in the church. Where are they leading? And what is that all about? So that's what the sermon series is designed to dig into, looking at a series of scripture passages to talk about what is the church and what's the church all about, uh, and then who are the servants in the church, uh, and how does that involve all of us. Uh, so this morning, it's looking at 1 Peter 2, and we're going to try to focus in on that question, what exactly is the church? And Peter here gives us uh, a series of pictures. They kind of overlap and intertwine. Uh, we're going to kind of break it down into three different ones, but uh, but they all intertwine. Pictures uh, different aspects of the church's identity, uh, who we are, what the church is, and then we'll see what that quickly does is lead us to uh, to the priorities that the church is to be all about. Uh, so we'll, we'll take them one at a time. First, uh, this this idea: what is the church? It is the assembly of Christ's followers. The assembly of Christ's followers. So in the bulk of our passage, verses 4 to 8, Peter takes us to a construction site. Um, And maybe some of you, like me, on the way to church, drove past a big construction site. There's going to be big townhouses built, and there's all the equipment and pipes and things laying around. Well, that's kind of where Peter takes us. It's a construction site. Uh, uh, Things are laying around. He actually names some of the things that are laying. There's stones. Uh, There's a a cornerstone that's already put in place. And there's other stones that are being added. Uh, But the the building that's being built uh, is is not a series of townhouses in Medford. It's, uh, It's a spiritual house, Peter calls it, verse 5. So it's, it's not built of stones like granite, limestone, marble, those kinds of stones. Uh, it's built of people. A building constructed out of people. What he calls living stones. Uh, so, and, and he's clearly talking about, about the Church of Christ. Uh, it's it's a pictured as a building, but a building made of people. So don't think building as in this building, uh, but building as in stone people, uh, people being brought together, uh, intertwined like stones uh, in a wall, uh, so people gathered together, uh, intertwined to form a structure, a living structure, that is the Church of Christ. But we want to notice how, how Peter talks about this collection of people, That's it's not just any people, it's very specifically Jesus people. Uh, and those who have come to him. In fact, that's how he opens the passage, uh, in, in there in verse 4. As you come to him, uh, the sentence actually kind of picks up, the thought picks up in verse 5. Uh, you, you yourselves are living stones built up as a spiritual house. So who are these you living stones? It's you who come to him are built in the stones, uh, in, the, in the structure. Uh, so uh, it's those who are brought to Christ uh, that, are, that are built together uh, as, this, as this structure. They are the living stones because they have come to the living stone, Jesus. Uh, it's interesting how in, in, in our passage where Paul wants to talk a lot about the church and get these pictures of the church, he spends a good deal of time talking about Jesus. That's intentional. Uh, we're living stones because we come to the living stones. And so he takes a little detour of sorts to talk about Jesus. uh, Because that's that's where we get our our structure, our identity. And he actually uses that image of a stone to give something of the life story of Jesus. He recounts, retells the life story of Jesus using that picture of a stone. Uh, He says, end of verse 4, Jesus is the stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He then expands on that using a series of quotations from Isaiah Uh, And from Psalm 118, uh, verse 6, is is from uh, Isaiah 28. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, So Jesus is a stone, most specifically the cornerstone. Uh, which, if you know anything about stone buildings and ancient stone buildings, right, the cornerstone is the most important stone in the whole building, right? It's the, it forms the strength and stability for the entire structure, right? Because everything is built out from it, right? So the uh, not only the weight, but also the the the, the way the rows of stones go, uh, right? If that if that cornerstone is not square and true, uh, the whole building is off. Uh, which is why a good cornerstone was precious uh, to ancient <laughs> construction workers, right? If it's a good one, wow, we're going to hold on to this. We're going to note this one. Chosen, precious. And God says, that's Jesus. Chosen, precious, because he's the cornerstone. But he then quickly says, um, he actually uh, is the, the precious cornerstone that the builders actually rejected. Again, he's telling the life story of Jesus. Jesus. Here is, here is Jesus, the eternal son, who comes and takes on flesh, comes to his own people, comes as the, as the chosen Messiah, as the, the beloved of the Father. Remember, God speaking, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? Chosen, precious. But yet to the builders, uh, God's, God's people, for the most part, he's rejected, right? Condemned, crucified. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected. But now, and here's the next episode in Jesus life, the resurrection, He ends up raised up, uh, exalted, uh, sending out the Spirit. He's the king and head of the church, right? So the, the stone that the builders rejected actually becomes the cornerstone. The, the most important stone in the whole structure, the one that everything is built upon and holds everything, holds everything together. Uh, The question then that remains is, well, what do individuals do with Jesus? That's verses 7 and 8 gives the idea that there's basically only two options. Uh, You either believe in him and come to him, uh, or you reject him and trip over him. Right, Right? For those who believe, uh, those who earlier described as coming to Jesus, uh, embracing and trusting this Savior and King and Lord— uh, for them, he's chosen and precious, and there's, there's life, there's, there's honor, right? You get built into this house, one of God's people. Uh, but for those who reject Jesus, this same, uh, this same stone that's life actually becomes a stone that you trip over and fall, ultimately, to your own destruction, depending on what you do with Jesus. Uh, of course, that always should have us answering the question, or asking the question, what have I done with Jesus? Right? What have you done with Jesus? Uh, which, which category are you in? Are you those who, who trust in him, who come to him, believe in him, or those who reject and trip over Jesus? Right? Life and, and death. Uh, but, but you can see, as, as we're to, especially trying to focus in now, how that cornerstone fits into the rest of the structure, how Jesus connects to the rest of, of the church. Uh, And you see that if you're going to understand what the church is, you've got to realize that the church is made up of people, but most specifically, people that are built together and standing firm upon Jesus. And that that sets the the, the tone, the structure, the stability of the entire church. Uh, Or put it in language that we have in in our outline, it sets the priority for the church. Now, if we are indeed, at our very core... Uh, living stones, because we've been brought together, built upon Jesus, the living stone. Then, then the priority of the church has got to be uh, focusing on Jesus. That our our very theme and heartbeat and joy and song is, it's Jesus. And and if we if we if we lose that or downplay that, that's usually where trouble starts to to creep into the church. Um, it's, it's not much of a secret that in, in the past couple years, in the midst of the, the turbulence of the pandemic era, that there's been some, some real struggles in churches, uh, divisions and denominations, or in individual congregations, or, or Christian organizations, and, and no doubt people much smarter than I will debate the, the ins and outs of that for decades and, and probably say smarter things than I could. But I think uh, this point of Peter is a critical uh, one to reemphasize and go back to as we move forward. Uh, that that the the critical aspect of the church that gathers it and binds it together is Jesus, uh, and and that that is where the church is founded. That is what binds us together, uh, and that's an important thing to remember and and recommit ourselves to. Uh, That what gathers us and binds us together is not a shared collection of political and social commitments, but a shared savior. That what gathers us and binds us together is not a shared collection of political and cultural commitments, but a shared savior. It's not that, that political and cultural issues aren't important. They are. It's not that Jesus has nothing to say about political or cultural issues. He does. Uh, but what we're talking about is what ultimately is what gathers us and binds us and gives the church stability. Uh, it, it's not this, this got all these views uh, on the same page with each other. The, the ultimately it is Jesus. That everything, the stability and the and the structure flows from there. Uh, and so we re-re-center ourselves. Yeah. Who is the church? Who are we as the church? We're those who come to Christ. We're those who have been rescued in Him. There's there's our life, and there's our stability. There's our heartbeat and our joy. Christ and Christ alone. It doesn't answer every hard question, but it does give us a starting place uh, and, and a place where we must return to again and again. So, what is the church? It's the assembly of, of Christ's followers. Uh, with a priority on Jesus. Uh, secondly, the church is the temple and the priests of God. The temple and the priests of God. So let's go back to the construction site. Um, we already said the followers of Jesus, the people, they're the living stones. Christ is the, is the cornerstone. Um, but notice as Peter describes this building, it's not just any kind of building. You look at some of the details. Spiritual house. Uh, cornerstone in Zion. Uh, there's priests making offering sacrifices. And you, you put your Old Testament hat on and you start to think, where have I seen spiritual house, Zion, priests? Where does all this fit together? Well, that's the Old Testament temple. Kids, do you remember the Old Testament temple? And uh, you remember how King Solomon was given this task of building this grand structure the temple god gave all the design of what it was to look like and they built this structure on mount zion uh, there in jerusalem uh, it was for priests to offer sacrifices to god well that uh of course the the great glory of that structure was that was the the place where god's glory presence would dwell Remember how when the ark was brought in, uh, the glory cloud of the Lord filled the temple? No one else could go in because because the glory of the Lord was present. It's this powerful picture that God's people uh, were to have God dwelling in their very midst. Uh, And that was, you could see it there at the temple. Well, here's Peter. He takes that Old Testament image of the temple, all right, structure in Jerusalem, God's glory presence among his people, and says, ultimately, this is fulfilled in the Church of Christ, this is us. Uh, it's not a structure somewhere uh, halfway across the world. Uh, it's the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, that this is the spiritual house. Uh, that, it's, that it's living stones that are built this built together, uh, gathered together and connected, so that God can dwell among His people. This is what the Church is all about—a uh, temple of the Lord, of uh, God's God's presence and glory dwelling among us. Uh, in a way that's similar to what happened at the temple, but actually bigger and better. Uh, At the temple, you might remember, there's all these separations and courts, and don't go too close. And and now, because we're connected to the living stone, Jesus, saved in him, well, the glory of the Lord is, is, there's no separation, right? God comes and dwells among us, powerfully, intimately. Uh, There's also... Uh, the great, great aspect of now you don't have to travel to some separate location uh, to, to be in the glorious presence of God. Uh, because everywhere around the world, wherever the, the living stones come together, there is God's glorious presence. Uh, it's the temple, only better, only fulfilled. Uh, and here it is. Uh, Peter also mentions the idea of priests offering sacrifices— That was a key thing in the Old Covenant. Uh, There in Jerusalem, you had priests, and they were offered these sacrifices at the temple. Um, You Remember, there's a whole whole bunch of different kinds of sacrifices. Essentially, you could boil down the Old Testament sacrifices to two kinds. Uh, There are sacrifices that dealt with sin, uh, and sacrifices that were about thanksgiving and praise uh, due to that forgiveness of sin. Uh, So, sacrifices that had to do with atoning for uh, and bearing the wrath of God to turn aside uh, sin uh, and bring forgiveness to God's people. Well, that work is done uh, by Jesus, the great high priest. Uh, We don't repeat that kind of sacrifice because it's finished. Uh, Everything that's needed to forgive our sin and turn aside God's wrath towards our sin and bring us forgiveness has been done in the great high priest Jesus and his once for all sacrifice of himself. Peter's going to say it in a few verses, talking about he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. All right, There's the great high priest uh, in his own being on the cross. He bears our sins, so everything needed for forgiveness is finished by the great priest Jesus. But a fulfillment of those other kinds of sacrifices is exactly what we are to be about. So, when Peter talks uh, here about, about God's people as, uh, as a, a royal priesthood, uh, as, uh, as a priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, he's talking about that, that sacrifice of, of thanksgiving and praise. In fact, that's exactly what, uh, what Hebrews, uh, language Hebrews uses, a sacrifice of praise. Here's Hebrews 13. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. A sacrifice of praise. We bring those sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to God. Uh, Peter uses the priesthood language again in verse 9, and you can see where he goes with that. He gives this whole list of terms. But one of them is royal priesthood. Why royal priesthood? At the end of the verse... "...that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." So so what do we do as as the the priests of God? Uh, We proclaim the excellencies of him who who saved us. right? We we praise him and proclaim how great this God is uh, who rescued and saved and saved his people. That's what the people of God are to be about. Priests who offer up a sacrifice of praise... God present among us. While we're talking about priests, it's it is helpful to note that when Peter talks about the church as made up of priests, he's not talking about a few select individuals who were up at the front of the room. Uh, That was the case in in Solomon's temple. There were just a few select individuals, the sons of Aaron, who got to be priests offering sacrifices. But in the fulfillment of that, in the new covenant, in the church, It's not a few people at the front of the room. It is every single believer that's a priest of God. Uh, Every single one. You, me, all of us. We're priests. Uh, Because we are those, God dwells among us. And we are those who are called to offer up a a sacrifice of praise. We're called to be those who proclaim how great this God is. Uh, and And that's what we gather to do. Right Here we are as living stones, and what do we do when we get together? We we proclaim how great this God is to one another and to anyone else who's listening. Uh, We we, we bring forth to God this sacrifice of of praise as God's people. It's it's who the church is and what we're to be about. Um, I'm not sure if this is is still a thing, but a few years years back there was this trend in, in some church circles where you would have this this special Sunday. Um, Often it was called a Be the Church Sunday. Uh, you heard of this? The the idea would be uh, that you'd have a particular Sunday, and you wouldn't have worship service on on Sunday morning. Uh, No church service. Instead, what you'd do is the whole church would go out and do a community service project or or an outreach uh, event of some sort. And the, the tagline usually was, this Sunday we're not going to go to church. We're going to be the church. Okay, you can you can kind of understand what uh, what what they're what they're getting at there, right? The church isn't a building. Uh, A location that you go to, like Jerusalem or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly God's people are called to be salt and light in the world and to to use collectively uh, our our place here to be a witness in the world, absolutely. And I have no doubt that's what uh, what motivated those who who went in this direction. Um, But I wonder if you catch the probably unintended message there, uh, which is that That what we do here isn't really being the church. That we got to kind of cancel this and go out there. That's being the church. And it's, well, actually Peter seems to say, this is precisely what being the church is. Living stones gathered, God present among us uh, through his spirit, and and gathering of priests, and we offer up sacrifices of praise, of praise to God. Actually, this is being the church in the most profound way, at the really core of, of who we are. Uh, it's actually what, what then flows out into our love for, for our neighbor and our, our ministry to our neighbor. Because essentially what we do as our witness in the world is, is we we take what starts here and it just flows out. right? We're proclaiming how great God is to one another as we gather in worship, we offer this sacrifice of praise, and we go out into the world and say, this God is really great. You got to you got to come to know this Jesus. You got to see this Jesus, right? We we keep proclaiming how great He is. All right, it, it, it's what we do here as priests that flows out into our our priestly witness work in the in the world. Um, but of course, the, the ultimate application shouldn't really be critiquing one church program over another. Uh, ultimately, we need to start with ourselves. How do we view our our role and our part in in the church of Christ, right? Not, not, just, not just somebody at the front of the room, but the, your role as a part of the church. Do you see uh, what God has, has called you to be a part of, uh, to be a critical part of, a critical stone, a critical priest? Uh, he's called you uh, to, to assemble and gather uh, God dwelling among us. Uh, he's called you and equipped you to to lift up to this great God a sacrifice of praise. Uh, he's called you to be that uh, that priest that proclaims how great this God is. Uh, that that's who we are at the very at the very core. The church is uh, a temple, priests of God offering up sacrifices of praise. So one more aspect of Peter's passage as we uh, as we begin to wrap up. So this is. Uh, our, our third point here what is the church the church is the people of God uh, the people of God this gives us the priority of grace So here we're looking at verses 9 and 10 <clears throat> verse 9 Peter Peter piles up these descriptions of the church they all have really deep rich Old Testament roots uh, so let's let's just focus on one of them it's the one that he carries into verse 10 which is the description of the church as, A people for his own possession. A people for his own uh, possession. We we talked uh, last week, if you were here, and this was always God's plan. And and this is the reason why he created the world, he created people, to create a people to be his very own. Um, The language that we read from Deuteronomy 7 this morning was the language of God's treasured possession. Right? Uh, God's treasured possession. That's what we mean by a people for God's own possession. His his treasured possession. Right? Just like Jesus chosen and precious uh, so connected to Jesus, his people treasured, chosen, precious to the Lord to be his very people. Um, Peter then quickly then goes uh, to verse 10 and brings in another Old Testament quote. Solution. Verse 10. Uh, Once you were you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is actually almost a direct quote from the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. He ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel in some of the really dark, dark days uh, of, of Israel. God's people, of course, called to be God's people, but yet they've rejected God and run after other gods, and Hosea was called to bring this message of warning and coming judgment. And he wasn't just to bring the message with with his words, he was to bring the message with his very life. Remember, Hosea's marriage was to embody this message to God, but also Hosea's children. Uh, and so Hosea has one child, and God says, "Name the child, no mercy." Another child, name this one, not my people. Right, God, Hosea living out God's message, and then he explains, "Because Israel is no longer my people, uh, and I will no longer show them my, no longer show them mercy. <clears throat> right, no mercy, not my people, because they've rejected the true God." Uh, Of course, this is is what all our sins deserve, right? For us to be cast from the presence of God, to be driven off from the protection of God. That's what all our our sins deserve. Uh, And God announces, this is is the the judgment that comes upon those who reject him. But then Hosea goes on to announce uh, a reversal of this. Shocking, undeserved grace for God's people. God says, and this is what Peter quotes, uh, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. So this, this reversal of, of the judgment. Uh, undeserved, right? You deserve to be no mercy. You deserve to be not my people. But God says, I will actually reverse it in my grace. To those who are not my people, I will call you my people. To those who who, haven't, who are no mercy, now you will receive mercy. And Peter takes that language and says, this is us. This is the church. Whether it's it's unbelieving Jews who come to know Christ, uh, or whether it's far-off, licentious Gentiles who are brought in to the kingdom, same thing, right? Not my people. Uh, No mercy. That's who we are by nature. That's what we deserve. uh, Right? Not my people. But Here's God in his grace draws in undeserved uh, people to be his very own, to be now my people. Uh, mercy, grace of the Lord. That's the that's the church of Christ. So it's God's treasured possession, uh, but God's treasured possession completely undeserved, right? So we can't say uh, we're God's treasured possession because look how great we are. Look how valuable and expensive and wonderful we are. Uh, Not treasured possession in that sense. Um, Did you catch what we were reading this morning in Deuteronomy 7? God says to his people, you are my treasured possession. Uh, But you do know it's not because you're very impressive. It's not because you're greater, more numerous, or impressive than other nations. No, not treasured possession in that sense. Uh, In fact, uh, he explains uh, to his people, uh, I love you because I love you. That's essentially what Deuteronomy 7 says. Uh, I love you because I love you. Not I love you because you're fabulous, or I love you because you're you're worthy. I love you because I love you. Uh, it's, It's to those who are no mercy, not my people. Now you're God's people. Treasured possession because God pours out his grace upon those who don't deserve it. That's us. That's the Church of Christ. Right? We're, we're gathered together to Christ. We're called his people, his treasured possession. We weren't that by nature, and we don't deserve it now. But he, he loves us because he loves us. That's the collection uh, of people that are the church. That's the, the body. Uh, and that's why we proclaim the excellencies, uh, not of us, but we proclaim the excellencies of him uh, who called us out of darkness, into His light, right? So it's not proclaim the greatness of who we are. Look, we're God's chosen treasure possession. No, it's we're proclaiming His excellencies, how great He is. Because look, He called us out of darkness into His light, and that's why the the priority in the church is the priority of grace. It's it's the theme of of our preaching, of our our conversations, of our singing, of how we encourage one another and care for one another. Uh, Grace, God's undeserved mercy, right? God's treasured possession, completely undeserved, right? So we come back to that again and again. We, we try to try to resist that t- temptation to talk about how how awful those people are out there and look how great we are. Uh, no, we're simply those who are called out of darkness into God's marvelous life. And now Peter goes on to, on to say that that grace is a transforming grace. God doesn't leave us stuck, which is why we read how Peter continues quickly into, uh, you're called out of darkness, so don't act like the Gentiles anymore. You were a far-off, dark Gentile. Don't keep acting like that. That's part of why God saved you. And so he talks about abstaining from the passions of your flesh and keeping your conduct honorable among the Gentiles uh, because the, the grace of God is a transforming grace. Uh, it, it doesn't leave us stuck where we are, but but turns us more and more into this holy people that God says that we are. But again, even there, it's it's God's grace that's highlighted. How is it that we could ever be changed? Well, it's only because we're we're been brought to the living stone, right? We live because He is first alive in resurrection life for us, right? We can proclaim His excellencies because He's the great high. Uh, and so we follow in his footsteps and proclaim uh, the greatness of his grace to one another uh, and to the world again and again. So, the Church of Christ. If we're going to be able to understand why we're here, uh, who do have as leaders, and why we should even have leaders, and who, what is service in the church even supposed to be about, if we're going to understand that. Uh, of course, even more importantly, who we are and what we're to do, we've got to ask that basic question, well, what is the church? What is the church? Well, Scripture uh, paints pictures. And here Peter gives us some really glorious, rich pictures. And each of those flow out into what we're to be prioritizing as as the Church of Christ. Uh, We are uh, this assembly of Christ followers and we, we, we cling to Christ and proclaim him and find our, our stability in him. We're, we're a temple of God, the temple of God, where God dwells among us. And we're his priests offering up sacrifices of praise. We're his treasured possession all by, by grace. It's starting to see uh, that though the, the, the church is still, uh, is still not completely sanctified, there's still warts and ugliness in the church... That God's, God's vision, his picture, his goal, and it's already coming to pass, is far more glorious than we might think. Uh, our, our commitment to the Church of Christ is founded on what God says we are and who he's making us into. into. Not, a, not an option, uh, but an essential part of what it means to come uh, to the Lord and be in him. Uh, the Church of Christ, the assembly of the temple, God's treasured possession. That's good news. Let's, let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the greatness of your grace, the glory of Jesus the Son. We pray that, uh, that you would focus our eyes upon him, uh, upon what you're doing in the world and gathering this people to be your own, and Lord, to really rejoice in our place in it. Uh, we pray that you would, uh, Lord, allow us to Uh, to reflect that that glory and that praise, even here as the people of Emmanuel. uh, Lord, we thank you for it and pray in Jesus' name.